tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, George Richardson and Strangulation Saga. co-host crystal and i'm your other co-host robert and this is reenacted an unsolved mysteries podcast so robbie we were supposed to we're recording on a sunday but we were supposed to record on monday but we didn't because um southern california where i live and most of the western united states was having a record heat wave and my air conditioning went out (laughs) and i could not form a coherent thought (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> until oh dear until the air can yeah until the air conditioning got f- fixed it was up to like 90 degrees in the house i think when we were talking that's not and, good um, so we yeah so we're so now we're recording this on father's day um yes. which is ostensibly meaningless to you and i uh because because dead dad's club right <laughs> yeah yeah that's right um, we both got dead dads <laughs> dead dads <laughs> I only bring that up because um, mostly just to tell the air conditioning story. Uh, <laughs> why we're recording a week after we meant to, um, because there, if that air conditioning hadn't been kicked back on, I think uh, when it did, there was going to be a very, very solved mystery in our house, and it it would be um, Crystal killed everything that lives here. <laughs> she got too hot. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm, but uh, like, I would have just pled out. I've been mean, like, yeah, I did that. Oh man, <laughs> I, got, I got too angry. Man, mm-hmm. but you know, it's funny you mention that. Like, I'm just remembering mm-hmm. that one year ago, uh, I was in a similar situation because I was living in that trailer and there was no air conditioning. Mm. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was basically just wow. having, like, pour yeah. water on myself and my cats to, like, just keep us cold. Yeah. And uh, now I, I, I'm I renting a room. And even, yeah. like, it has a swamp cooler. So, like, uh, the it's not like the AC is being pumped directly into this room. But even with the door mm-hmm. closed, it is it is so much nicer. Right. Well, insulation helps keep things hot as well as cool yeah so so we were able to it really only got bad in my house in the afternoon so basically we were doing at night because it was cooling off to like 80 degrees at night and so we were able to open the windows and cool the house down yeah so we could sleep and then you know when it got to be about 11 o'clock the next morning i would go and close all the windows and then we would have all the fans on and stuff but eventually we, we yeah we ended up borrowing our friends uh, very generously offered swamp cooler. <laughs> so um, at least we could have that in one room. But yeah. I, hey, guys, if you're, listen, I improvised a lot of my own swamp coolers and cooling techniques. And if you guys have a situation where you just don't have air conditioning, one thing that I found uh, that kind of served as an evaporative cooler or a swamp cooler, if you don't have one, but you do have um, like a, portable fan is to take a shallow sheet of water and put it in front of the fan. And so then you have a situation where the evaporation of that water is cooling the air that's being pushed uh, in front of the fan. So you're blowing the fan over the shallow tray of water. I tried several different things, including putting like ice behind the fan 
to cool the air that was being sucked in. But that didn't work as well as just having that shallow tray of water. So that's my tip. If your AC goes out and you want to cool things down, it'll work just to, it'll work to not just be blowing hot air around. At least when you're blowing the air, you're blowing it off that water and that evaporative process is actually what makes any evap or swamp cooler cool things down. Um, so that's what I learned. But <laughs> um, putting that high school science out. knowledge to to work. <laughs> um, so uh, the other thing, this so the AC broke the day after my birthday, and I'd actually had a really incredible uh, birthday. I had some friends fly down from Northern California to spend uh, my birthday weekend with me, which is was amazing. Oh, wow. Um, thank you for doing that. They don't listen to this podcast oh. or know that it exists. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Those they kind came of to friends. visit and we had, I had a really lovely birthday. And then one of the things that David, my significant other, gave me for my birthday as a gift was a um, he'd paid for me to take flying lessons at the Van Nuys Airport. So next Sunday, um, I'm going to learn how to fly a Cessna and we're going to go up. I'm not. I'm not taking off or landing it. I'm just gonna hold the hold the stick and flip some switches. <laughs> We're already in the air. <laughs> but I'm. I'm so excited. I've always wanted to. Uh, I've always wanted to be a Top Gun, and now I get to be a Top Gun. <laughs> nice. Um. Well, that was only six minutes, and there's only two segments in this episode. I thought my vamping would go on a lot longer. Well, you know, if um, yes. if 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 we finished up the first segment, and it looks like uh-huh. we're gonna come in way under, I I could at least put yeah. out a a public appeal at the beginning of the second segment to get some help with that television issue we were both discussing. Okay, well, why don't we plan on doing that? Yeah, this this episode was a little weird. Um, it's season five, episode ten of Unsolved Mysteries, and we've got it's just, it's there's one update which we could talk about, but we've already discussed it in a previous episode. So there's really ostensibly only two segments. It's that baby that was found in the field. They just did the the up- yeah, and weed California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was an update yeah. on her reuniting with her family. Him. Yeah, so I mean, there's or, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, was it him? Well, I guess I guess I it was her. well, I guess like they're trying to find a him, but I guess it is the. The, it is one of the sisters who's the one who's like, I'm trying to find these people. So, yeah, oh. you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Right. But the brother was the one that was missing. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Okay. Well, we covered that. Um, so should we talk about um, people who claim they can speak with the dead? <laughs> <laughs> that that I, I appreciate how diplomatic that was. Uh, at, at no point yeah. can, can we be accused of engaging in slander because we're not saying that he's a liar. Um, um, <laughs> well, uh, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we get. Yeah, you're right. We're not going to say that, but I'm. But when we get into it, we're going to say a lot of other things right. about this dude. <laughs> so the first segment opens with sort of a greatest hits of unsolved mysteries previous uh some of their previous psychics so uh we got the the what was her name tara B- bozanita uh uh t- tara 
Yeah, Tara Bossa. Bossanina, yeah. Who, 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 like... Yeah, but she wasn't really, like, a medium medium. She just had that one... Well, she would... She, like, she was a, had the... Right, right. The, 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 the... Oh, she was a ghost. Right, right. Right? I think she was the ghost, yes. And... Okay, Tara Bossanita was the ghost yeah. who possessed this other woman. And and that that was the case where, like, the... Like the it was enough that the police brought the guy in and he confessed... Before even hearing mm-hmm. what it, I, I mean, obviously he thought like, oh, they got, they got the evidence on me. <laughs> I, I still wonder what like his reaction was, uh, you know, when like afterwards he's like, hey, how, how did he know I did it? Well, this <laughs> ghost <laughs> possessed a woman and mm-hmm. told, told her, uh, t- t- told people around her that it was you. Mm-hmm. What? Anyway, uh, so yeah, so we, uh, we get sort of a greatest hits on that, uh, and then we get Robert Stack opening up the uh, segment from a graveyard. That's always fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I was trying to guess which one because there's two two that I think are probably most frequently filmed at. Um, there's Forced lawn in Burbank. Okay. And then there's Hollywood Forever. And I couldn't I don't I couldn't really tell. I think this might have been Hollywood Forever. Okay. Cemetery. Hollywood Forever. Because that's the one where you're like, yeah, there's all kinds of events and stuff people do at Hollywood Forever. Like you can go take like a Pilates class at that cemetery. Huh. I'm not kidding. People do like uh They'll do like cinema stuff too, where they'll drop a screen and watch an old movie. Okay. Among all the graves and stuff. Yeah. So I would, I think that's probably the most likely, but it might have been Forest Lawn. I don't know. Okay. Well, he, he swings, Robert Tracks swings around a tree. He's like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> he says something like, what all these uh, various episodes have in common is that even the most hardened skeptic was unable to come up with an alternative explanation for what seemed to be genuine psychic episodes. And he said that, Mm -hmm. and my first thought was like, well, I don't really remember that being true. Yeah. I think even a very very soft skeptic probably could have poked some holes in most of those segments, but... Right. And then I really got (laughs) outraged, because Stack then says, that is also true of the man you're about to meet. At which point I cracked my knuck- my knuckles in my neck and said, "Okay, let's do this." <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, we 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 start with this interview of George Anderson, and he's explaining that like what happens is he's not. It's not like he's having a conversation with the deceased, right? Like what he's mm-hmm. he's kind of like he's kind of hearing some some speaking, but it's more like he's mm-hmm. hearing a feeling. He gets a feeling, a sensation, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it, it's just, uh, and he's sort of interpreting that, which is a, a, a really, really good way to just sort of, you know, initially set up that you're not going to really be able to answer very many questions <laughs> when you're, mm-hmm. when you're engaged in your um, uh, psychic activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he really he really lays the foundation for uh, uh, explaining how the the code reading <laughs> is going to go. Um, we then get an inner Robbie. Do you care to do you care to explain what a cold reading is? Yes, 
I think we might have talked about it before. Yeah, but please. I mean, it's one more time. It's basically you, you you throw out some vague information, and you're kind of you you you, you the people who do it are, are at least they're very well studied on facial reactions and emotions and whatnot, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. the, you know by seeing how people react to stuff, they're able to to narrow it uh down to the point where it looks like oh they're they're reading their mind or or you know they're mm-hmm. uh they're 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 actually communicating this stuff which is whereas if you're you're actually watching it you're like eh. no this person's like they started out with something very general and then through the process of of elimination they kind of just are able to like see what the person reacts to and get to something more specific. We'll see. We'll basically see two reenactments of code reading and an actual code reading <laughs> later in this segment. Yeah. I, you know, they, they, it was weird because initially didn't they say that George declined to be in the reenactments and then he shows up later doing They do an actual session. And I thought that was very strange. It, yeah. It, it was um, very interesting. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, well, I have some theories. Okay. Well, let's hear your theories. We'll, we'll get to it at the, no, we'll get it. We'll get oh, to it okay. at the end when he does okay. the actual reading. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we get a, we, uh, we also get an interview with a guy named Joel Martin who was running a radio program. And for some inexplicable mm-hmm. reason, he decides to have George Anderson mm-hmm. come by. And we have uh, the mm-hmm. guy who's doing the re- reenactment of George Anderson. You know, he's got he's got a fun sweater and beard combo going on. And they show that, like, I guess when George Anderson does his his psychic stuff, he he draws a bunch of loopy circles on a piece of paper, which is actually something that I often do during telephone conversations or in in person mm-hmm. conversation anytime i'm just kind of bored with what uh, the other person mm-hmm. and you know we get in this reenactment we get the the guy he's just like you know he's like oh i'm i'm, I'm sensing something and and he just starts uh, you know he stumbles he stumbles upon the name shirley and then he's like Oh, uh, I'm, I'm uh, something like a car and acts pain in her face. Oh, she's de- she's deceased. Uh, something happened. I I feel the pain coming through the, the, the in the head in the face, and you know the you uh, maybe a car accident, and you see like the 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 radio host. It's just like the facial expression. You can just see like you know. It, really does a good job of conveying like oh he's you know he's getting more and more like wait 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 th- is this real this is and you know getting mm-hmm. more and more excited because you're 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 you know you're you know he, he, he it seems to be you know he's, he's, he's telling me what, what what happened and so the radio hosts unfortunately you just uh like he was so wazzled, razzled, dazzled by this that he he had George Anderson then on as like a regular guest. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, what was it like? He was living with his parents, and he sort of he turned this into his like his job, where he'd just have people come over, and uh, he would you know do his 
is psychic sessions. Um, mm-hmm. And we get a, another reenactment where, you know, this, this couple, they, they, they lost, they lost their son. Very, you know, very unfortunate. It was killed in a car accident. Yeah, it was. It, was it a car accident? I don't know. It was like a tragic, a tragic accident. accident. And then the mom goes into some detail about finding out about it. I believe. Yeah, like well, she described it as a night of hell, which I would say is probably yeah. <laughs> exactly what it must have felt like. Um, mm-hmm. and so she was obviously stricken with grief, and uh, she convinced the husband that. Uh, you know, let's 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 try giving this psychic guy a uh, a try, and mm-hmm. God, I mean, it's it's just another example of code reading. You know, as he sees this uh, this mm-hmm. bereaved couple Absolutely. come in, like you've recently lost yeah. your son. Yes, yes, yeah. I'm seeing uh, a. a a vehicle of something yes yes he was uh he was wrong, wrong he said he was in the wrong place at the wrong time uh six 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 sixteen yes he was 16 oh and then you know yeah. uh, um well i mean this is this is a, a thing about this too is like if you are doing a cold reading and you establish that somebody's lost a child at a young age there's a handful of reasons why that might be. And usually it's not like um, a heart attack or, uh, you know, something of that nature. I mean, mean, if you know why people die at certain ages, right? So it's like, okay, it's either an accident or he killed himself. If you're 16 years old and you die, that's statistically what it's, it is. And so as a cold reader can go through and like run through the likely scenarios and then watch how someone reacts. I mean, this is not, Nothing that happened in the reenactments, um, even as uh, they put they put George in a really George Anderson in a really flattering light in the reenactments, um, like he's just nailing every detail. I was, um, and I, yeah, and and and, and, and yeah. When we get to the actual reading that George is filmed doing later, well, okay, <laughs> oh, right, okay, so. Uh, we get uh, another. Uh, we 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 learn from an, uh, about another guy. His, his son passed uh, uh, passed away. He came across George Anderson's book. We don't die. Uh, so yeah, uh, I guess yeah. Um, narr- narrator. In fact, we do die. <laughs> <laughs> the, the I would just like to refute the title of that book. Yeah, we die. <laughs> For sure, right, right. Everyone does. That, that's not that's not what what's in question. <laughs> um, and so he was reading. I guess he was reading the book, and uh, you know they they he fell asleep on his bed, and he has this neat. They do this little neat thing where they have a black and white uh, reenactment of the dream this guy had. Where you know he's he's uh George Anderson sort of like he sort of passes George Anderson by while George Anderson's on the couch doing his psychic thing, and George Anderson's talking to him in the dream like, oh you're uh you're David Lakata is telling me about your son David. I'm seeing uh David with a soccer ball, and he's telling me that your son's name is also David, and like, got 
guy wakes up and decides like I gotta I gotta pursue this uh, which is interesting because at no point was it um, I mean like it almost seems to suggest that like George Anderson is is able to enter people's dreams almost uh, so then they have another reenactment you know and he the same deal you know he, he figures out like oh you've lost someone they were 17 which i mean i guess when when mm-hmm. your when your teenage son dies there's only so many ages they can they can be uh and it's uh i guess this is neat cuz he was able to like like he was like he did, he sort of did a crossover cuz he was like talking about how like you know he's he's also talking with the uh cuz cuz that this other uh son that someone lost named david is you know talking with them and i like how he has to take a he has to take a pause when there's like a lightning storm because he'll lose the signal Mm-hmm. okay yeah yep which i mean <laughs> i'm kind of forgiving of that like i mean if you're like if 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 this is a real thing i would have to believe that like there are things that could affect like scientific things that would be able to affect it um mm-hmm. if, i mean if it was an actual if this were a real if thing. it were a real thing <laughs> that's what, as they right say. uh so yeah so we got a uh, some some you know some portrayals of a i mean in as you as you say with all these reenactments they they, they kind of you know they show them in a the favorable light like he, he 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 does get them pretty quickly, but I feel like even still, you 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 see the cold reading methodology right there. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I think the thing with the pen, and he's not. If you look in the cold reading, there you have the camera behind behind him when he's actually doing it. When it's actually George Anderson yeah. doing this, um, he's it's it's not actually a pen. It's like in a pointer thing, and he's just moving his hand around over the paper. Um, yeah. This isn't explained. I think it's just a bit of flair to make it look like he's like channeling something. Oh, and almost if, certainly. If I had to guess it goes back to this tradition of like uh, ghost writing from like the Victorian era. Do you know about this? Like, oh. when, like the Victorians really got into some like occult stuff and seances and stuff. And one of them was ghost writing. And yeah. so like the so-called psychics of the time would would write something in the deceased handwriting or use their words or something and be like, okay, this was channeled through me. And if I had to guess, that's a bit of flair hearkening back to that type of performance. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I, I have heard of, I, 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 I do remember hearing about the ghostwriting stuff in the past, but I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I didn't realize it had, it, it had a, a lineage. Um, uh, so that that's that's interesting, but yeah, it was it's almost certainly just as you say, it's just a bit of flair. It's a bit of the show, yes, you know. Yes. And then we get we get we get an actual co- code reading. Er, I'm sorry, psychic session where uh, the real George <laughs> Anderson is. Uh, he's with um, uh, a, a real uh, bereaved family. And yeah. I mean, unsolved mysteries. They they're like, well, you know, we didn't really tell them tell them anything about them. But like, I mean, first of all, mm-hmm. he I'm sure he can he, he he can spot a bereaved family from miles away. 
And yeah, well, I mean, in the much the same fashion as a con man can spot a, spot a mark right from miles away. Right, <laughs> right. And I'm not saying that this person is a con man. I'm just saying there are parallels. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's just, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not as as quick as with the 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 in the reenactments, you kind of, you get a little more sense of the process that's involved. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. he uses stuff like I'm losing my air and right. which, which I feel like is a good, is a good safe one to throw out there. Cause if the, if the in, if the cause of death didn't have anything to do with the lungs, you can always just be like, Oh, well he died. That was him losing his air. Right. But if they do get the, right. if, if he does get the reaction, then they can like sort of been like, oh, it's an injury involving the chest or, or whatever. And then like, <gasps> like it culminates with him saying like, you know, um, you know, it's just like, just, just with like, I mean, it's the, just the sort of stuff you want to hear. He's like, it's not your fault. Don't, don't feel guilty. You know, uh, stuff that people would, would want to hear. Obviously, he's not doing this for free, right? And I think one of the reasons that he declined to participate in a reenactment is probably because the producers of Unsolved Mysteries wouldn't meet his rate. So they had this other session that was probably already scheduled that they that the family and George like agreed to let them film. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, and I mean, why else wouldn't he want to participate in the reenactment himself? Himself, right? Right. Right. Um. So I did a little Google search. Oh boy. <laughs> on uh, on uh, George here, George Anderson, medium extraordinaire. Um, he's still offering sessions. He's still practicing medium to this day. Like, to this day, you can schedule a session with him. Now, um, because of COVID and and that crisis, he has dropped his rate oh. per session. Yeah. Okay. He never does this, according to his website. But he has dropped his, his rate per session, um, which I think is about an hour long, from $1,200 to $1,000. Oh, that, that's, that's a substantial yeah. discount. Right. Um, I, you know... Really reasonable stuff here, right? Yeah. Since he's been doing this for X amount of years, I'm sure he didn't start off charging a thousand dollars, and it's been, you know, raised per inflation and demand. Uh, I don't know. I was just doing a little math, and it seems to me that this would be harmless if he didn't charge for it. But this is this man's living, and as soon as, of course, you add a financial incentive for anybody to do this sort of thing, and it's, you know, it's you can't you can't prove. It's not falsifiable, basically. We can't say, let's test this. Mm-hmm. Um, although many have tried, and he has had media appearances throughout the years where he's done a cold reading and struggled. And, you know, that's, I think he was on in 1999. There was some special he was on with, uh, on eight, I want to say ABC or something like that. And he was really struggling. And he wasn't getting any reactions off of who he was trying to read. And so he was just guessing wild all over the place. Um, the other thing is to keep in mind, if you watch this episode, it has been edited. So whatever George Anderson is doing in that 
cold reading, it's been very clearly there are huge chunks that have been cut out. Um, obviously, this the family too is very emotive. That, that that's in this session. You know, they uh, you know they uh, end up crying many times. So I mean, Robbie, I feel fairly confident <laughs> that you and I could probably have as much success doing this type of thing um, as George Anderson does because you know, this is cold, this is cold reading. It's a classic example of that. Also, I would like to mention if you have someone who has passed away recently in your life, um, you know, a thousand dollars could probably like buy about 10 sessions at a hundred dollars an hour with a pretty good grief counselor. (laughs) And I would recommend doing that (laughs) instead. (laughs) Uh, I mean, cause yeah, cause when, when you when you when you're meeting with a psychic, it's what you're looking for is some sort of closure or therapy or or, or you know mm-hmm. like so yeah I, I guess what you're saying is that there's a a cheaper alternative or at least or rather you can get more sessions for the same amount of price right yeah right and I th- and I think um you know I would also say if you're a religious person you might get that kind of like uh grief counseling through your church or your synagogue or something like that and often that's free yeah <laughs> you can you can talk with your pastor <laughs> if, if that's something you're inclined to do and that's very often at no cost to you um and so i i mean just this whole this whole i i'm so upset with unsolved mysteries for giving this guy a platform frankly because oh he's cold reading people totally that are aggrieved and and unsolved mysteries is applying zero skepticism to any of his claims none yeah whatsoever and i feel like in past like medium segments they've they've applied at least a little bit of logic or skepticism um to to what was going on but this has a profit incentive like this is very different than a lot of the other stuff that they've presented like this guy's making a lot of money this is his living this is his living. So there was no profit incentive in them showing the Terra bone. Terracita Bossa. That was Terracita her name. Bonsa. It wasn't Terra Bossa. Yeah. It was Terracita Bossa. <laughs> yeah, there was no profit incentive in that. That woman wasn't seeking money. Yeah. That was so called uh, so called possessed. She just wanted to help solve a crime. Right. And yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I feel like in the relative recent past of our podcast, I've started like there have been many times where I've. I've given unsolved mysteries some praise for like, yeah, this is sure a contrast from that first season when they're having all sorts of hucksters on selling books and, 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 right. and shit. And yeah, and I feel, yeah. I feel like with yeah. this episode, they just took a really huge step back. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and I'm, I'm almost, I mean, I'm almost convinced the reason, I mean, I think the positive thing I have to say about the segment is the reenactor did a really good job of aping what it is that George Anderson does. In oh, this reenactor is great. Like he was really yeah. good. Yeah. Um, I, you know, so I, that's about the only positive thing I have to say <laughs> about it because Man. yeah, I truly did feel like, what are we like back in season one now? And we're just platforming, um, cold readers again, who have books to sell and sessions to offer. Are we doing that again? Are we giving them free press basically? And, and I think it's really interesting that they even chose to air this because of they, they couldn't get him to do the reenactment himself. And I'm, I'm almost certain that's because they couldn't meet his rate. Oh man. Do you know what I mean? That is so interesting. So they probably paid 
the reenactor like scale to come in and do this as opposed to you know the several you know this is the early 90s probably the several hundred or a thousand dollars george is nothing but a savvy businessman right so he probably had his manager work it out and unsolved mysteries wasn't going to meet his rate and then they ended up working it out where he already had a scheduled session and they were allowed to film that so i'm so glad you put that out because my explanation would have been like uh well he wouldn't have wanted like to be in the reenactments because then he would have felt it would they would have detracted from the uh, realism of what he really does i mean you know not Mm. you know not not that he like he's a real psychic but that that he he was concerned that it Mm. might undermine his brand as a real psychic yeah i think if they were gonna do this segment over again they probably could just have shortened it not made it more than half the episode yeah um and just shown the part where they actually got to film and and then tacked it on the at the end of another episode i think the fact that they gave him so much air gave this garbage so much airtime. um but hey, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can go find George Richardson's website and schedule yourself a very, you know, session. Yeah. Very expensive session. Yeah. If you have that kind of money to throw around. Um, <laughs> there's another podcast. I know I've mentioned it before and we've actually run run an ad for our podcast on it. It's called Ono, Ross and Carrie. And I think they take a very skeptical but gentle approach with these things and i you know they've been they've been doing their podcast for like 10 years and i would be surprised if they haven't already done an episode on this guy um because they very often for you know frequent mediums and stuff like that to see you know if there's claims that can be proven or disproven um i think they take a much kinder approach than i am taking right now (laughs) with this because i just don't have any patience for this shit yeah this is a grift. Yeah. Sue, sue me. I don't care. There's all kinds of stuff you can find too all over the internet about this guy of people refuting his claims and, you know, yeah, I think he's received a fair amount of criticism as well. But if you go, if you Google him, the first things that come up are his website. So just keep that in mm-hmm. mind. Um, should we move on to like an actual <laughs> thing that happened? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so robbie we we were doing a little bit of a in this this second half of the unsolved mysteries episode here we were noticing something in this reenactment and uh you wanted to put out a call to folks call for action if they could get to the bottom of this yeah it's not it's not you know who did the murder no no that's not it (laughs) This reenactment, before we get to the details of, of the segment, it, the reenactment starts out because it's a Saturday morning, right? And there's a, the son of this family is watching uh, cartoons, Saturday morning cartoons. He's got he's sitting in his little kid chair. He's got what I presume is a bowl of cereal on his lap. Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah, he's ki- he's kidding it up. And he, he's doing kid stuff. And we unfortunately we don't get really a good clear and an extended view of what he's watching. And I have spent probably a disproportionate amount of my research for this particular episode just trying to figure out what this show is that he's watching. It's a cartoon. 
Um, the reenactment is reenact reenacting an event from September of 1988. So I tried looking up the Saturday morning cartoon schedule from 1988, but I don't think I don't think that they're actually showing what was uh, <laughs> what was on at that time. Uh, and also, you know, uh, later on in the segment, they mentioned that this is happening at 7.15. So this is before the major networks start their their mm-hmm. cartoon block. This is, so this might be mm-hmm. just, I mean, it, that's assuming, like this is, like you point out, this is probably just footage that they are cheaply able to get of something that looked cartoony. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily indicative. <laughs> the Unsolved Mysteries probably did, did not go into the detail of showing... Show showing yeah. the actual program <laughs> that their son was watching <laughs> on TV uh, while David Wallaby was looking or uh, went and closed the front door of their house. But we do. It is most certainly a cartoon. It appears to have anthropomorphic type animals. So, you know, animals that are, are standing like like a human. And at some point, there seems to be some sort of gray wolf with like a little bowler hat, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a it's like a wolf that's wearing like a suit. Yeah, with a hat, yeah. and it's like a it's like a very round wolf. It's not like a lean, mean wolf. It's like a big, cartoonish, round. Wolf. Yeah. Uh, so I've looked. I've, I've I've sort of Chris and I did a little bit of looking. We uh, if. I'm going to, I guess when this episode drops, I might post pictures on our social media, on our Twitter account and stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, or if you're going to just watch the episode, th- this episode of Unsolved Mysteries, if you know what cartoon this is, please write in, contact us at either reenactedpod at gmail.com, or you can visit our, tw- write, leave a comment, uh, on our Twitter at reenactedpod, um, you know, you maybe uh, go to a Facebook page, or uh, if you're if you're on iTunes, uh, give us a five star review and then tell us what program it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess we won't have to do that at the end of the episode. No, huh? no, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll just we'll just skip over that. Um, my running theory, though, is that um, after our little search, it was probably just some like stock footage of an old timey cartoon that they got from Getty. Or I something don't that they. Well, I could be wrong. Yeah. I, could I don't be know wrong, how but... like how old timey are you thinking? Um, the style of it looked like the 1940s, like 1940s, early 50s, mm. that kind of style of cartoon. Mm. So it wouldn't have been contemporary to 1988. For sure. And it looked like it was in black and white. So then now that might be because the television that they used in the reenactment was black and white. Also, that would be weird. Or the cartoon itself was black and white. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think this is going to be a point of disagreement between us, Crystal. I, I am not. <laughs> How are we ever going to recover? Yeah. From this? This is, this is the thing that rips this podcast apart forever. <laughs> Well, uh, well, since this is the last episode, we might as well free enact it. Might as well go out with a 
Well, I, w- I would say a bang, but I don't think there was actually a gunshot in this uh, episode. No, this is actually a pretty sad story. Yeah. We're about to talk about. Um, okay. Well, you already mentioned the name David DeWallaby. Um, this this story is centered on the disappearance of Jacqueline uh, DeWallaby. Um, Jacqueline was uh, so in the reenactment. Uh, yeah, it starts any like any early Saturday morning. Um, the DeWallaby's son is up. Uh, David DeWallaby's up. He's got his cup of coffee. And um, he walks into the, to the living room past his son watching cartoons and he sees that the front door is ajar. It's open. And so um, I guess his mother, they have a basement apartment in their house and I guess his mother lives there. And so he thought, oh, okay, mom came home and she just didn't shut the door properly behind her this morning. And then he looked, uh, he looked outside and his mom's car is not in the driveway. And he's like, okay, well, then maybe she came in and went out again and left the door shut still weird anyway a couple hours goes by and cynthia de wallaby the mother of this family uh gets up and, and goes to wake jacqueline because at this point it's like 9 15 in the morning usually little kids be up too early and no one's seen jacqueline yet and she's not in her bed uh she's not in her room she the comforter from her bed is missing which is pretty strange i think and um they show in the reenactment that jacqueline and uh not jacqueline i'm sorry cynthia and david DeWallaby are having a little aside in the kitchen like oh should i be worried and um you know they're like well maybe you know maybe jacqueline went got up early and went out to play with friends in the neighborhood and at this point i realized the 80s were truly a wild time (laughs) to be a child (laughs) where your parents could be like "Eh, maybe they're just running around you know I obviously I feel like Robbie, you and I had that same freedom to just go outside and play, you know, with the neighborhood kids. I certainly was fortunate to have that, but I was letting my mom know first, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I don't like, like, yeah, I would be like, Hey mom, taking the bike out. Bye. Like I would have let her know. You you, you, you do a check-in, you know, just like. Yeah, yeah, everything's cool, it, so yeah. I can be out for a few hours doing my own thing. Yeah, good. You're out. Yeah, yeah. But also, you know, like in the early 90s, probably when we were doing this, you know, and our parents thought kids were getting kidnapped left and right. Right. So maybe that was true. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so... So there, you know, there's kind of a sense of urgency in the reenactment. Um, we get most of the story told from the point of view of the DeWallabies themselves. So they're being interviewed and then the separate reenactors are, are going through the whole scene. Um, at which point David DeWallaby takes their young son and he starts canvassing the neighborhood going around the usual spots. Hey, have you seen Jacqueline? Nobody's seen her. Um, Cynthia does a full inspection of the house. Can't find Jacqueline anywhere. And at some point as she's going to check the backyard, she walks around the side of the house and sees that the window uh, to their mother's basement apartment has been broken. And Mm. I think it's at that point that they call the police. Immediately, uh, the house is swarmed with uh, police. Um, The FBI shows up, too, because immediately they thought they were dealing with a kidnapping situation. Um, But almost as immediately, a lot of suspicion gets thrown to uh cynthia and david and you know they're questioned multiple times and in the reenactment you see cynthia getting really frustrated like why are you talking to me go find my daughter 
Like, what, what are you still doing here? <laughs> She's not here. Like, go find my daughter. And I totally, I respect it. And I think that's a, a totally normal thing for a parent to express. Like, why are you still questioning me? She's obviously missing. Um, and at this point, the retired detective, I think he was in charge of the case. I don't remember his name. Maybe he's in the wiki. Oh, boy, this motherfucker. Um, okay, so... <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, you know what? I don't care. And, um, when we get to the end of the segment, you'll understand why I think he's a motherfucker. Uh, okay. So the, uh, detective is interviewed also. He's now retired, uh, for, for this case. And he's like, well, I think any parent would understand, you know, and in, in the course of this investigation that we would be considering them as suspects as well. I don't understand that. I think most parents would be would would be would find it traumatizing to to have that immediately thrown at them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. There's nothing. There's nothing. You know. I think in the course of like a situation where uh, a woman has been murdered, yeah. Of course. Of course, the boyfriend did it. Of course, the husband did it. Okay, that's very natural. In the situation where a child is at this point missing. There's no reason, and there's a window broken, and the door was ajar. Based on the evidence that you have, why would you immediately start laying under the parents? Why? That doesn't make any sense. They, they, um, yeah, they have, they have it out for for this guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess also during the course of you know searching the house, they'd found some blood. I don't know if that this is even mentioned in the unsolved mystery segment. I'm editorializing from the wiki but they found some blood on Jacqueline's bed as well um anyway fast forward uh, five days uh, David has been questioned and given two polygraphs at this point the first one he passed with flying colors um he was not found to be lying the second one was done I guess with the state police not the local police mm-hmm. um he had asked he had asked why am I being questioned again if I was already cleared yeah <laughs> you know um and and the and the answer that he was given was like, oh well, the state likes to do their own polygraph. I guess the the polygraph was inconclusive in that case, and the reasoning that David gave for it being inconclusive is because he actually got in a confrontation with the person giving the polygraph, because they wanted to essentially get a baseline reading of like what his his uh, heartbeat or what pulse would look like if he was lying. And so one of the questions, they, so they were like, oh, answer yes to all of these questions. And one of the questions was like, did you murder your daughter? And David's like, I'm not answering yes to that, period. I didn't do it. Yeah. And so it, it ostensibly screwed up the polygraph, but come on. Yeah, I don't. I, Are you kidding me? That's not a valid <laughs> interview technique on a polygraph yeah also polygraphs are not valid yeah i don't (laughs) they're not admissible in court yeah i I, and i don't blame him for like i mean because like no that sounds exactly like the sort of setup where we would be getting a different uh sort of uh version of this this um of this segment only instead of unexplained death it's final appeal and they're talking about how he was uh (laughs) 
how yes. he was how like well when they had, took me in for the polygraph they they were like okay we just need to like get some you know some some baselines for for when you're lying and one of the questions they asked was did you murder your daughter and I said yes because they told me to and now and then 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 they submitted it as right. evidence in court like I totally get why mm-hmm. like I mean if I was that guy I was like no yeah. this is a trick. <laughs> Yeah, I would also like to remind anyone, should they, God forbid, find themselves in this situation, that as soon as soon as you feel like any suspicion is being cast on you, beyond answering the questions of, like, the initial questions of the interview on the scene, the only thing you should be saying is lawyer. <laughs> Period. <laughs> right. That's why I, I really didn't understand throughout this entire segment, where was their lawyer? Where was their lawyer? I'm sure, you know, it was a public defender situation. Where was their lawyer in all of this? Yeah. Because because at that point, like at the at the time, I, I think even before he was asked to do that first polygraph, the only thing you need to be saying is a lawyer. Asking for a lawyer is not an indication of guilt. The cops want to make you think it is, it isn't. It is your right. Get a lawyer. <laughs> lawyer. That's all you gotta say. Lawyer. Don't say anything else. Because this is what happens if you don't, if you don't get that lawyer, <laughs> if that isn't the first thing out of your mouth is lawyer, because this is what happens. Um, so, yeah, I guess there was uh, unsolved mysteries and get too, too, too much. I guess there was another concurrent uh, investigation where they were not going after the DeWallabies. They were they were pursuing some other leads mm-hmm. with what happened with Jacqueline. Um, unfortunately, Jacqueline's body was found near an apartment complex, uh, in another township about four or five days later after she disappeared. Um, shortly after that, uh, both the DeWallabies were arrested. Um, their house was searched multiple times for evidence as was their car. Um, Cynthia DeWallaby at the time of her arrest was two months pregnant with her third child. Um, you know, there were a number of things, uh, again, this detective is arguing about, you know, like how would, I guess when they came on the scene, the wind, they thought the the wallabies broke the window to make it look like someone broke in and to cover their butts. And the detective was, that is interviewed on Unsolved Mysteries was arguing that how do you get into a window, um, you know, in the basement and when there's a bunch of, there's like a towel, there was a towel rack in front of the window. And then there was like a bunch of like cosmetics on like a countertop or something. And how do you get into the downstairs apartment without disturbing all of those things? And David DeWallaby was like, well, I will show you. (laughs) So he, (laughs) he made his own video and basically had a neighbor, uh, as they filmed it, um, you know, crawl in the same window, show that he was able to, um, and it's, the window's not very far off from the floor. I'd also like to mention that. So you could easily slide in um, and drop to the floor without making much of a disturbance. I mean, the, the windows may be like, I want to say five feet off the ground at most. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so all you'd have to do is like, Hold your, and this is what his neighbor did. All you have to do is hold yourself against the wall and then drop down really quick, and you wouldn't be touching anything in that room. I mean, it's 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 like the guy you know, does it in the, the person. The guy does it in the tape recording. I mean, yeah, yeah. David Wallaby's like, well, <laughs> want to know how that could happen? Here you go. Um, again, where was his lawyer? Where was his lawyer? <laughs> Why is he doing this? Where was his lawyer? Um, yeah. So. 
it all adds up to just a bunch of lazy police work. Uh, another issue comes up where um, they didn't, when they were trying to do the forensics on the broken window, they were doing it uh, out of a bag of broken glass that had been collected three days earlier. They didn't investigate it when they were on the scene. They swept everything up and then they were trying to determine whether or not the window was broken from the inside or the outside. At that point, again, doesn't make a ton of sense. Just, just lazy, lazy policing all around. Um, and they really go after the Dewallabies. So they're arrested. The There's a scene where in the courtroom, um, they're trying to, the judge is trying to decide whether to proceed or not on the evidence given. And, uh, you know, the prosecution and defense are both there. They send the jury out of the room. And the judge says, you know, I don't think there's enough evidence here to pursue Cynthia Dewallaby to trial. Like, we're not going to do this. Um, so she can go home. But I think there is enough evidence here for uh, David DeWallaby to face the jury. And so, uh, you know, you know, Cynthia, who's pregnant at this point, has another small child to care for. You know, she's free to leave. But they're just saying, you know, OK, David, you'll be out of here soon, too. Uh, unfortunately, that's not what happens. They have a couple of eyewitnesses. I mean, all the evidence they have is circumstantial. And circumstantial means they don't have anything that uh, they don't even have a cause of death from the autopsy from Jacqueline DeWallaby. They don't know how she died, right? Um, she was found with a rope around her neck, uh, but they don't know that she died of strangulation or anything else. So they don't know how she died. <laughs> they don't know when she died either. There's no time of death given. So it could have been any time between her being removed from the home and the five days later when they found her. Um, so obviously the medical examiner too, is just doing a real bang up job here. Um, the uh, everything else the eyewitness testable testimony is kind of hard to believe um just as far as like would the person who said they saw david at that apartment complex really really and truly been able to identify him i'm so fixated on on the like you know that like the, the one witness is like well he had a really large nose Right. I mean, it's just like, he's like, yeah, you, you, someone pointed out like that this was like from like three quarters of a football field away. And you're just like, yep, look at the size of that nose that. And yeah, yeah. So, I mean, really, like. It seems like not only were they were the authorities, you know, looking at, at the wrong guy and in, in, in David, mm -hmm. but really, they should have been looking they should have been trying to to put this case together around the idea that Carl Malden was the murderer <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even big bird i don't know <laughs> yeah he's got a honker too man yeah he's got a big honker uh, yeah, so anyway, even though everything is circumstantial, the jury deliberates for three days, comes back, and says David is guilty of murder in the first degree. His daughter, Jacqueline. Damn. Um, so uh, enter uh, legal legal commentator, writer. I don't know. What profession is this guy? He's, yeah, he's like a, he's like a TV, like, I, I kind of felt like he was like... Like a, a consumer spokesperson. Uh-huh. <laughs> Looks into like products, is like, this is a shoddy product. And he basically just in this case he 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 took that same frame of mind and he, he applied it to this court case. <laughs> yeah. Well, his his name is David Protest, and he <laughs> ends up teaming up with the Chicago um 
anchorman named Paul Hogan. Yeah. And so these two worked together and basically did a series of televised segments and articles in the newspaper um, arguing for what a botched investigation this was. And um, I, given, given all the, I mean, oh my God, this freaking retired detective. Oh, what a motherfucker. Um, so, you know, obviously because David Wallaby is giving this interview with his wife, like he has been released from prison. <laughs> like that has already happened at this point. And, um, he was, yeah, he went to his, uh, his case went to the appeals court and he was released from prison. He had initially been sentenced to 45 years at Joliet, which yikes. And, um, he, I think he was out in about 18 months due to the, uh, investigative reporting that was done around the case. Um, for some of the details that I mentioned that things that just didn't add up, uh, again, the bus driver who had said they saw someone with a big nose was saying that they spotted this person at night from 75 yards away. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I can't see something reliably 75 yards away, especially at night. Yeah. And he was saying he picked this guy out of a lineup. I don't believe it. Like this was, this case was so shaky. I don't, and I also think probably the, the Wallaby's lawyer was so shitty. Yeah. You know, they're not rich people. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is just, it was just another example of like, oh, let's, so the cops went after the easy answer because they didn't want to actually do any police work. They knew these people didn't have the money to defend themselves properly. And then, the you know, it's case closed for them, right? They're taking the path of least resistance. Right. Uh, yeah. um, which is to say they did investigate other leads um, and they didn't find anything that they could pursue necessarily. But everything else was as shaky as this whole putting David DeWallaby on trial thing. Um, so the unsolved mystery at this point is because this was an unexplained death uh, segment. It was not a final appeal um, is who killed Jacqueline DeWallaby. And so they were basically telling the story to try and get anyone who might have some information to come forward uh, to actually get some justice for Jacqueline. And um, there is an update. And it's that as a result of the broadcast, there was a couple of people who called in and poked holes in the alibis of the other suspects in the case. So the case was reopened uh, due to those calls. I think it remains open to this day. Um, no one's been, uh, no one's been, uh, what do you call it? No one's been arrested or charged uh, to this point, but David DeWallaby has been fully exonerated by the state of Illinois. So I wouldn't call this a happy ending because there's still a dead girl at the end of it, but, uh, right. Well, I'm glad he's not in prison for something he didn't do. Um, that's anymore right. that's good uh but, it, it was kind of but they had to change change their names and move away yeah from where they lived because of oh. this well this is and this was sort of an interesting segment in that because because the because the segment is unexplained death right mm -hmm. and i mean obviously we do get inf plenty of information on that but that's not really the like there's no call to action at the end like do you you know have any tips or leads or anything it, it becomes mm -hmm. it's sort of mm -hmm. halfway be through it becomes more like a docudrama on like this guy who right. was going to it's another 2020 segment exactly again. this is i was just going yeah. to go there this seems like something that was would be more appropriate to have like an hour-long thing about on on 2020 
And uh, just mm-hmm. like how we had just uh, recently, uh, previously on, the, on on our podcast, and also in the same vein, I feel like they did do a lot. Of, they did do a pretty good job of putting a lot of effort into this uh, reenactment. This wasn't just like showing up to like some house somewhere and mm-hmm. shooting some stuff. They have a courtroom scene. Um, it's mm-hmm. really elaborate. I feel like this, you know, uh, you know, I feel, I kind of felt like I was watching something like, like a lifetime movie called presumed guilty, the David DeWallaby story or, or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, this one just really goes to show God forbid you get accused of anything. Cause, cause you're, even if you're innocent, your name gets dragged through the dirt and it also goes to show that i'm not saying i'm not saying all police departments i'm not saying that and i'm not saying all fbi agents but very often (laughs) police will want to take either because of lack of resources or whatever they want to take the path of least resistance to put someone in jail and get a conviction yeah and that's what they did with david DeWallaby. and all that time and energy they spent trying to break him down and prosecute him was time and energy they weren't finding who actually did this because that would take work. <laughs> You'd have to leave your desk for that one, guys. Um, I mean, I get it. I get it too. Like we're all we're all constrained by the budgets that we have, and um, there's a lot of external factors on police departments to make sure that they get convictions. The reason that this one didn't hold those because all the evidence was circumstantial, and at least have the decency to like frame someone with some more physical evidence, just so the conviction sticks. That's all I'm saying. If you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be that way. <laughs> <laughs> get a little smarter about it boys um so but yeah god forbid you're getting accused of anything and you wanted to go off on that guy again right the one who's like oh right so the segment basically ends before the update with this retired detective saying well i think someone in that house was responsible for her death i don't know why the update didn't include david DeWallaby and cynthia DeWallaby sued the shit out of that detective for slander on national television because that would have been the next move. Again, lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> lawyer. <laughs> like, okay, they've, he's been cleared, right? Not He wasn't exonerated at that point, but he has been cleared of that crime. He served time. He didn't serve. That's another reason he could have sued, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had to serve time that for a crime that he wasn't right. you know, guilty of. Um, there's a lot, there's just like a lot more like lawsuits that could have been filed by the DeWallabies. And I think the fact that the, uh, the DA's office and the police department got out, I presumably clean from that is, you know, they should count themselves lucky. Yeah. Especially after that guy goes on national television and says, despite the fact that this case was overturned, I still think someone in that household is responsible. Right. Right. Lawyer. Lawyer. <laughs> And that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> um, Robbie, we uh, we already did all the social uh, stuff. We did. We did do all the social <laughs> social stuff. We, we did all that stuff. Um, so I guess there's only thing, one, one thing left to do. Join me next time. Perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery.